Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. I'm glad you all are joining us, whoever's watching. And I would like to start out, of course, by saying Happy Mother's Day to all the moms who are out there listening. Um, I know I've been extremely, extremely blessed with uh, one of the best moms in the whole wide world. And, of course, my wife, who is an absolutely amazing, wonderful, fantastic mother. And um, one of the things that uh, uh, goes along with, with, with maturing as a man, which everyone knows takes us twice as long, right, as ladies, is, is realizing, uh, you, know, you know mom's important. And, and you know the importance, that the, the role that a mother plays, and certainly that our wives play in our homes. And, but man, the older you get, and the, the more you live, the more you walk through this, this, this world, the more you realize um, how massive that, that, uh, that indent is, that, that, that uh, influence that they have in the home. And really, our, our moms and our wives are the mortar uh, that hold the whole structure together. Of course, you know, within, within of course, the framework of, of uh, Jesus Christ and the relationship we have with him and his dictates on how the family ought to be set up and how it ought to run. But man, oh man, without mom, I joke around with my kids all the time and tell them, you know, without mommy, <laughs> we're just going to, this, this, this band may break up. No, not really. But, but uh, it's funny, interestingly enough, uh, and this may seem unrelated, but I'll, I'll get around to a point eventually, I promise. Um, last October, around Halloween time, there was a big hullabaloo about this guy who was doing a haunted house, uh, and I can't remember what state it was in, but they were, the town was trying to shut him down because it was so over the top, like crazy, this haunted house. It wasn't a haunted house like you think of it, like we have at the fair and like that. This guy was um, a special operator uh, in the military and a contractor afterwards, I think, and he his specialization was advanced ter interrogation techniques. And that's really what he put into play in his haunted house. It was something that was literally shake you, <laughs> is supposed to shake you to the, the foundation of the core of who you are. That's how bad it was. In fact, they said that there was, there was an hour-long interview process before you could go through the, the, the haunted house. And most people, the vast majority of people, didn't make it through the interview process. Um, anyway, I, I thought that that was fascinating, and, and I, I was thinking, man, I would love to go and do that. I would love to do that, except for the fact that I know that there would be snakes immediately. There would be snakes at the first corner, because uh, if they knew anything about me, and I, I, I just can't, I can't deal. But one of the things that the guy was saying was that um, of all the people that go through it, the people that do the best are primarily women. In fact, he said that he has one woman who's a, a high-powered businesswoman in some city, and he, she does it every year, every year, and she gets further than any other than anybody else does. And he says, in the vast majority of people, the women are the ones that go the furthest. And the interview was asking him, well, why is that? And he was like, it's simple, because women are so much tougher mentally than men. And, you know what a woman goes through, and the things that women deal with from like early on in their life, and traumas that they deal with. Women are just tougher than men. Um, you know, and, and there's, there's all sorts of funny jokes about that as, you know, as far as, uh, um, you know, when women give birth and they go through that pain of childbirth, they can finally understand how terrible it is to be a man with a cold, right? <laughs> but um, I love you. I love all of you moms out there, everyone who's out there listening. If you're a mother, uh, you're special, you're unique, you're important, and um, we love you. We love you very much. So if you want to open in your Bibles uh, with me to Numbers 
chapter 20, we're going to be picking up verse 14, and we're going to be talking about Israel and the Edomites, Israel and the Edomites, and we're going to hopefully get to a very important point as it pertains to our relationship with the Lord uh, and the walk that we have with Him, whether we are Edomites or Israelites, uh, in Numbers chapter 20, and we're going to be picking up in verse 14, but let's start with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you that we could all be gathered here together, Lord, uh, via the internet, and I pray for everyone who's out there listening, Father, or who will listen to this. I pray for strength and wisdom in them, in, in their lives, Lord, and in their hearts as they navigate their way through this difficult time. <clears throat> we pray, Father, for our leaders, uh, and we pray for, for that you would give them wisdom, Lord, and, and understanding through this entire process. Uh, and help us to be the best that we can be as first and foremost believers in Jesus Christ and his disciples through this entire thing, that we would always stand ready uh, to do the right thing. Uh, Lord, be ready also to, and be prepared in our hearts or to serve people, to help people in any way that we can, and always be looking to shine that light of the gospel of Christ, Lord, wherever we go. Uh, and we would always be ready, Lord, to give our testimony as to why we have hope in Christ Jesus, Lord. We pray and ask for all those who are out there who are sick, who are hurting, uh, for people who have lost loved ones through this time, Lord. Uh, we pray that you would grant them peace, Lord, in their hearts and comfort. And we pray that you would be with them, Lord, that you would come alongside them, Lord, and reveal yourself to them, even in this difficult time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, uh, Numbers chapter 20, verse 14, through uh, the end of the chapter, and, and it goes, goes like this. Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that has befallen us, how our fathers went down to Egypt, and we dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from wells. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. <clears throat> then Edom said to him, you shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword." So the children of Israel said to him, we will go by the highway, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. Then he said, you shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men and with a strong hand. Thus, Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. Now the children of Israel, the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. Now this is the beginning of the final march of the nation of Israel from the wanderings in the wilderness towards the promised land. As we get through the next few chapters of Numbers, we're going to be encountering other groups of people, other nations that are going to come out against the Israelites and do battle against them and fight against them. And God is going to begin to give these people victory as they march towards the promised land. Before they ever get to the promised land, before they ever enter into the promised land, there's battles that happen. There's battles that, and, and, and armies that come out against them through that process. You got to remember, Remember when, when the 12 spies year, 40 years earlier were sent into the promised land to spy it out, into the land of Canaan, 
And they came back and brought the bad report. Remember, 10 of the spies brought the bad report. And the people went along with them, refused to believe or to even attempt to enter into the promised land. And God told the people then, you are all going to wander in the wilderness until you pass away. It's your children that are going to go into the promised land. It's your children who I'm going to give this inheritance to. The very ones who you said would be devoured by the land, I'm going to give the land to them. But you will not enter in because of your unbelief. And of course, within that framework, we have the understanding that without faith, it is impossible to please God. As the scripture says, for those that come to him must first believe that he is and that he also was a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, that there's a relationship that takes place there. There's a relationship process. It's not enough just to believe that there's a God. The Bible says you believe in God, you do well. In other words, good for you. So do the demons, and they tremble, okay? To say I believe in God does not mean I have a relationship with God. It's a completely separate thing. So those who would come to God must understand not only that he is, but that there is a relationship to be had there, that there is a conversation that needs to take place and an understanding that needs to be had between you and the Lord. And so God says to the children of Israel, because you have not believed, you cannot go into the promised land, but your children I will bring in. So this is a group, this is a generation, you got to understand, who were not slaves in Egypt. This is a, this is a group uh, who had not faced the battles and some of the hardships that their parents had gone through. This is not a battle-hardened group of people. And so before God brings them into the promised land, he brings them through con uh, conflict, but it begins with them coming to the border of Edom, and there Moses asking may we please pass through your land. And of course, the king of Edom saying no, and Moses saying, listen, we're not going to go through your vineyards. We're not going to eat of the, of the produce of your fields. We won't drink from your wells. We'll stay on the king's highway. We just want passage through, please. And he reminds them about all of the hardships that they went through in the land of Egypt and how God delivered them. And Edom still refuses and in fact sends an army out to make sure that they don't pass through their land. And Moses, in an interesting turn of events, acquiesces to the king of Edom and instead goes around. Now, right after this, he's going to be confronted by other nations who they're going to fight against and be given victory over. So why here does Moses simply acquiesce? Well, you have to understand the relationship between Israel and Edom. And in order to do that, we have to go now backwards in time. We have to go back before uh, the wandering in the wilderness. We have to go back before Mount Sinai. We have to go back before the slavery and the bondage of the children of Israel in Egypt. We have to go all the way back to the story of two brothers. Now, we know about Father Abraham. He's the one that God first called and said, Get thee to a place where I will show you, and there I will make of you a great nation, and all the world will be blessed through you. And so there's this initial promise. And then Abraham finally receives that promise as his wife Sarah gives birth to a boy, to a son, and they name him Isaac. And then Isaac, in turn, has a son, and he names his son Jacob. But there's a brother. There's a twin there as well. And his name is Esau. 
And it's the famous story of Jacob and Esau. Now, I want you to watch this, and I want you to see what God does here, because in Genesis chapters 25 to 36, we have the account, we have the story of Jacob and Esau, 11 chapters of the book of Genesis of the most historic, I mean, replete with history, one of the most historic and foundational books of the Bible, 11 chapters are devoted to the story of Jacob and his brother Esau. Why so important? Well, here's what we know. Esau and Jacob were twins, and their mother, when she was pregnant for them, she felt the two children roiling and wrangling within her, and she realized, this ain't natural. There's something going on here. It's like they're wrestling in there, you know, and I think moms a lot of times feel like that, but it was to the point where she said, there's something extraordinary going on here with this pregnancy, and the Lord reveals himself to her, and he says these words. In Genesis chapter 25 and verse 23, the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, interestingly enough, when Jacob and Esau were born, uh, Esau came out first. He was the firstborn son. Now, remember, in that culture and at that time, the firstborn son was the one who inherited everything. He's the one who received the blessing from the father. He was in charge of the family fortune, the family business. He was it, the firstborn son. And that's the way it went. That went. It went. It was called the birthright. Now, interestingly enough, the scripture says that as these two brothers were born, Esau came out first, and as Esau's last foot came out of his mother, there was a hand grabbing his heel, and it was his little brother, Jacob. And as Jacob came out, he came out holding Esau's foot. And so they named him Jacob, which literally means heel catcher. That's what his name means. Now, as these boys grew, there were very, very stark, distinct differences between the two of them. And most notable was this. The Bible says that Jacob was a man about the tents, and that doesn't mean that he was some sort of a, you know, tiptoe through the tulips kind of guy. What it means was is he was more business-oriented. He was more about the business. When it says a man about the tents, he was about the business of the empire, of the family empire that Jacob, uh, that Jacob or excuse me, that Isaac had. And their holdings were vast. And Jacob was interested in those things. He knew how to keep the books. He knew how to manage the herds and the flocks. He was the businessman. Esau was the outdoorsy, manly man. The Bible actually says that when he was born, he was covered from head to toe in red hair, like an orangutan, okay? That's the only thing I can think of, covered from head to toe in red hair, now, as the boys grew older, there was a difference between the two. They were completely opposite type people. Again, Jacob was a man about the business of the family, and Esau was a man about the, the field. He would just go out. He was a man's man. He was a man of the field, but he was a man that was all about the flesh, the gratification of the flesh. He was about the here and the now. He was about, I need to be satisfied. I want something. I'm going to get what I want. That's what Esau was. That was, he was the embodiment of that. And Jacob was the one who thought things through more carefully. He was the one who saw the big picture. He was the one who saw, yes, that's good for now, but what's more important down the road? And in the story of Jacob and Esau, we have the famous account 
where Esau comes in from the field from hunting and he's famished to the point where he says, I'm going to die of starvation here. And Jacob had made this, this, this lentil soup, this stew, this red stew, it's called, as it, was, as it is described. And Esau said, give me some of that stew. And Jacob, being the, the, the businessman, but also heel catcher, in other words, it also means deceiver, he was, he was a shyster in a way, Jacob was. And he said to Esau, well, sell me your birthright. Sell me your birthright. I know you, Esau. I know you. The here and now, the fact that you're hungry right now, you're starving to death right now is so important to you, the here and now, you'd sell your birthright for it, wouldn't you? Jacob would never have done that. He saw the big picture, but Esau says, what good's my birthright if I die of starvation? Give me some of this soup. And so he sold the birthright to Jacob. Now, very possibly Esau thought, it's just words. It doesn't mean anything. Where's the signed contract? Where's the handshake? But God was watching. God saw this thing taking place. And of course, as the story goes on, we know that Jacob, when the time came for, for Isaac's death, when he was getting near the end of his life, when he thought that he was going to die, the Bible says his eyes were dim, he could barely see. Of course, he lived on for years after that, as a matter of fact. But he thought that he was dying, and the sons came to him, and Jacob came to him, and he wanted to receive the blessing, okay? And Isaac was prepared to give it to Esau, his brother, being the oldest. And so he called Esau, and he said, go out and make for me that game. Go out and hunt, do what you do, and make some of that game that you make for me. I love it when you cook me up venison and make it for me and bring it to me, and I'm going to give you my blessing. Now, Jacob was mom's favorite. Okay, it's Mother's Day. Jacob was mom's favorite. He was the mama's boy. She loved Jacob, right? He was always about the business of the family. He, was, he wasn't off on some grand adventure like his brother, right? And she loved Jacob. And so she went to him and said, look, Jake, here's the deal. Brother's out hunting. He's away. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to deceive your father. <laughs> sweet, sweet. <laughs> and we're going to deceive your father. I'm going to make up some of that savory game the way he likes it. You're going to go to him, and you're going to put goat hair on your arms so you feel like your brother. What kind of a man? I mean, I'm hairy. I have a sweater vest under here, right? It's all natural, baby, right? Uh, but I can't imagine being so hairy that, have you, have you seen a goat? Have you touched a goat, right? That's hairy, right? I thought I had problems. I don't think electrolysis could even touch something like that. And so he puts on the goat hairs, he brings the, the food to his father, and he, he heel catches the blessing. He gets that blessing. Well, Esau finds out about it and goes crazy. I'm going to kill him. And so Jacob runs away, he takes off, he goes to the land that his mother came from, and the rest of the story goes from there. He meets his wife, wives, <laughs> Rachel and Leah, and they have their sons that eventually become the 12 tribes, uh, some of the 12, most of the 12 tribes of Israel. But Esau stays in that land and has a different story completely. Now, Esau was covered in red hair from head to toe when he was born. I don't know if that red hair stayed through his entire life, but he had the red hair when he was born, and then he traded his birthright for that red stew, that red soup. And the word Edom, we're talking about the Edomites here, the word Edom means red. And so Esau became known as red, okay? That, my dad, red-headed guy growing up, that's what they called him, or carrot top, right? 
carrot top or red. That's what they started to call Esau. His name was Red, Edom. And it stuck. It stuck. You'd think it'd be probably sour grapes. He wouldn't want to be called that. But it stuck. Now, Esau also married Canaanite women. And the Bible says that they were a vexation to his mother and his father. Why? Why were they a vexation? Remember, guys, it always goes back. Everything about that family goes back to the initial promises made to them by God to Abraham, to Father Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. It was all about the promise for this family. And that promise was dependent upon, it revolved around the fact that this family served and only served the one true God, Jehovah, right? The God that we serve, the same God that we serve, the only true God is the God that this family served. The Canaanites were not that way. The Canaanites were fully pagan. The Canaanites were into all sorts of uh, uh, pagan idol worship and all sorts of wicked, abominable practices that went along with that worship. And so there was no fellowship that could be had there between Isaac and his wife and his son's wives. Because they were Canaanites, this Bible says they were a vexation to their mother, Rebecca. A vexation. And so when Esau sees that his wives are a vexation to his mom and dad, and he sees now that Jacob has received a blessing and has been sent back to the home of his mother to take a bride from that family. Why? Because it was a God-fearing family. They believed in the one true God, Jehovah. And Jacob said, that's where you go, or excuse me, Isaac said, that's where you go, Jacob, to get a wife from that family because they believe in serving the one true God. And so Esau says, well, I want to be blessed like Jacob is. I want to have a blessing too. So he took another wife to himself. And interestingly enough, the wife that he took was the daughter of Ishmael. Now, if you remember, backing up, Isaac who is the son of Abraham, we're doing a little history here from Genesis, he had a brother as well, a half-brother. And this happened when uh, the wife of Abraham, Sarah, who had been promised by God, you're going to have a son, she wasn't getting pregnant, she wasn't getting pregnant, she said, Abraham, but honey, it ain't going to happen. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to take my handmaiden that we brought out of Egypt when we lived there, and you're going to have a child with her. And when she bears that child, she's going to bear the child sitting on my lap, so the child is, it's as though the child is mine. It was a cultural thing. We go, what? Say what? But th that was the way it was done. Now, Ishmael was born, and as it turned out, he wasn't her son. He didn't act like her son. He never, he never was treated like her son. Because not long after that, she did get pregnant and had Isaac. And so you have Isaac and you have Ishmael. And of course, we know that God allowed Ishmael and his mother Hagar to be sent away because he said, the promise, everything that I've promised you is through your wife, Sarah. So now Esau goes to the family of Ishmael to get a wife from the family, thinking that that will now please his parents. Missing the point entirely, because the very story of Isaac and Ishmael is one also of the spirit versus the flesh, of God's way versus man's way. God had said, this is the promise, and this is how I'm going to fulfill it. Abraham, your wife Sarah is going to have a child miraculously, and through him, I'm going to make a nation. 
And they had a lapse in faith. They had a moment of unbelief. And in that moment of unbelief, Ishmael was born. Ishmael came to be. Ishmael, though blessed by God in and of himself, and he became a nation as well, he was not the son of the promise. And so the very fact that Esau would go to Ishmael's family to get a bride, thinking that it would be the same thing as going to his mother's homeland to get a bride, he missed the point entirely. And that's who Esau was. That is the example spiritually of what Edom is spiritually. It's being of close kin. It's being almost there, almost there, but not quite. Almost believing everything that's true, but not quite. You ever hear the phrase, a miss is as good as a mile? Uh, a, a preacher that I, one of the preachers that I love, talks about when he was down south and an old preacher that he worked under, and one of the things this old preacher would say to him is, there's three types of people. There's thems that is, there's thems that isn't, and thems that think they is, but isn't right? What was he saying? What was he talking about? There's people who are Christians, who are born again of the Spirit, who love Jesus Christ and are his disciples. There's those who flat out aren't, who want nothing to do with it. And then there's another group, the ones that claim to be a part of the family of God and yet aren't. Now, Jesus Christ in many of his parables talks about this third kind of person, he talks about this kind of person that is going to, he, he says, come to the door of the gates of the kingdom in those days and say, Lord, Lord, let us in, let us in. And he said, and I will tell them in that day plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. So what separates thems that is from thems that thinks they is and isn't? It's Israel versus Edom. You have the people who believe and put their faith and hope and trust in God, and you shall know a tree by what? The fruit that it bears. The fruit that it bears. Remember, when John the Baptist came as a precursor to Jesus Christ, rebuking the religious leaders, rebuking them, he told, remember what he said, bear fruit that shows repentance. Don't think to yourselves, we're children of God because we're seed, the seed and the offspring of Abraham because God can raise up from these rocks children of Abraham. You're a children of Abraham not because of DNA. You're a children of Abraham because of faith, because you believe and you either do or you don't. So you say that you do, but you don't. And if you did, you would bear fruit in keeping with repentance, he went on to call them, you brood of vipers, you snakes. Because they claimed to be Israelites, and DNA, and, and, and as far as their DNA went, they were. But spiritually, they were Edomites. And so now as the children of Israel begin their final move towards the promised land, they come to the border of Eden, Edom, and they ask to pass through, and they talk to them like a family member. You know our trouble. You know what we've been through very well. You know you understand it. We went to the land of Egypt. We were saved there from a famine. But before long, as we grew, we were enslaved. And we cried out to God, the same God you know. We cried out to God, and he rescued us. And now he's brought us here. Would you please let us pass through? Mm -mm. No, you can't pass through here. You can't be a part of anything. We won't even let your feet touch our land. 
in spite of everything that we know about each other, in spite of the similarities in our bloodline, you can never come through Edom. Interestingly enough, in Genesis chapter 27, verse 40, um, Isaac, when, when Esau came to him and said, Lord, or my father, is there not any blessing that you can give me? This is what Isaac said to him. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. Uh, and so the promise continued. Isaac said, that's all I've got for you. The same promise that was given to your mother, I'm going to reiterate to you now, son. Because of your unbelief, because of the fact that the here and now is more important to you than the promise, you're always going to be servant of your younger brother. And they never forgot that. Now later, Esau and Jacob have a reunion, and it's a friendly reunion. But it's also interesting to note that in that reunion, Esau's saying, come with me, come with me, come, come be with me, come be a part of me. And Jacob is very tactful and kind in his saying, nope, 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 I'm going to stay over here and be separate. He's tactful about it, but if you read through these chapters in Genesis 25 to 36, you'll see that. During that, during that reunion, Jacob is very careful to keep himself separated from Esau. And there's hardly any contact between them other than when their father dies after that ever again. But Edom never forgot. Edom never forgot. And there was always conflict between the Edomites and the Israelites based on this prophecy. Now, I want to go through a little bit of history of the Edomites. Now, <clears throat> we haven't gotten to Deuteronomy yet, but in Deuteronomy chapter 23, God is going to tell the Israelites to not abhor the Edomites because they were his brothers. He's going to tell them that in Deuteronomy. Don't you abhor the Edomites. That's your family. But there was always contention between the two nations. Eventually in the nation of Israel, when King David became king, he subjugated the Edomites. And they remained subjects of Israel until after Solomon's death, when they revolted, just like uh, Isaac had prophesied, when you grow restless, you will throw your brother's yoke off. They revolted against the Israelites and went off on their own. And when Nebuchadnezzar and King Babel, uh, the king of Babylon came in and sacked Jerusalem and destroyed Solomon's temple, guess who was with them? The Edomites. It gets interesting. It gets even more interesting than that. Later on, after the Babylonian captivity, <clears throat> when the Persians take over and then the Greeks... There's a, a, a period of Jewish history called the Maccabean Revolt, uh, and it's this famous story where the king brought a pig, actually, into the temple and sacrificed it on the altar, uh, causing it to be, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Defiled, thank you very much, to be defiled. And that began the rebellion of the nation of Israel against the king. And they actually won their freedom. It's called the Maccabean Revolt. When the Maccabeans uh, became their, their own leadership, when they took control of their own destiny, they once again brought the Edomites under their jurisdiction. They once again brought them under subjugation and forced them to live according to Jewish customs and forced them to live according to the Jewish law, which is the law of Moses. They forced them to worship the way they worship. They forced them, but the animosity never left. It was a forced thing. They never did it willingly. Now, later on, when the Greeks became fully in control of the entire region, the Edomites became known as the Idumeans. The Idumeans. The name went from Edom, the Edomites, to the Idumeans. Now, here's an interesting fact. 
later after the Grecian Empire, when the Romans rose to power, the Roman Empire rose to power, there was an Idumean who had converted to Judaism, and his son became or was made the king of Judea by the Roman Empire. And his name was Herod the Great. Herod the Great. Now, here's the interesting thing about Herod the Great, talking about Edom versus the Israelites. Herod the Great, an Idumean, an Edomite, he claimed to be Jewish. He claimed to be a follower of the Jewish faith. In fact, that second temple, the very temple that Jesus went into and overturned the money tables and drove the, the, the businessmen out of there, the very same temple that Jesus worshiped in, the very same temple that Peter and James and John went into and healed people and preached the gospel after Jesus rose and ascended to heaven, that very same temple was completed and was brought to a full glorious state by this Herod the Great. By all accounts, a friend of Israel. By all accounts, a godly man, a God-fearing man. Except there's another story we know about King Herod, isn't there? And that is the story of when the wise men, when the magi came following that star, and they came to Judea, and they were brought before King Herod, and he asked them why they were there, and they said, we are here because there is born in Israel one who will be called the King of the Jews. And Herod the Great had no place in his heart. He had the appearance of being this religious man. He had this appearance of being this follower of God. But Herod the Great had no place in his heart for anyone other than Herod the Great. And when this prophecy came to him, he actually went and spoke with the rabbis and asked them, tell me more about this prophecy, this king of the Jews. And they said, he'll be born in Bethlehem. It said that he'll be born in Bethlehem. Now we know the Magi go to see the boy Jesus who was about two to three years old at that time, living in a house actually in Judea with his parents. The Magi go and they visit him. And then afterwards, it says they're warned in a dream against Herod, and they leave out the back door of Judea to go back to their homeland. When Herod finds out, he is driven into a rage and in his bloodlust to destroy, to knock down anyone who would call themselves king over him. He gives the decree, he gives the order for every child in Judea, every Jewish child in Judea under the age of two to be put to death in order to keep himself as the king, that no one else would be called king. This is the history of the Edomites. This is the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? This is their story. This is what separates the Edomite from the Israelite. Those who have been called and those have followed by faith and those who have a name of being of the same family but are not but are not. That's the story of the Israelites and the Edomites. And so I wonder, I wonder about this little conflict that the children of Israel have here with the Edomites and this whole thing where they are not allowed to step foot on Edomite territory on their way to the promised land. Was that happenstance or was that the Lord? Was that the Lord telling Moses and the children of Israel, on your way to the promised land, on your way to the land that I swore to give to your fathers and now to you by faith, I don't want you to step foot on the land of Edom. 
I don't want you to step one foot into a land where they understand the heritage and they know the promise, but they only have room in their own hearts for their own ways, for their own will to be accomplished. I don't want you to even step foot on their land. And it's interesting to me how Moses completely acquiesces and backs off. No battle takes place, and they simply go around. Christian, here's my encouragement to you today. Avoid Edom at all costs. And don't be surprised when those who are of the land of Edom spiritually deny you passage in their lives. Don't be upset. Don't be sad. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. Go around. Go around. Don't ever let your heart, a heart of faith, a heart of belief, be intertwined with any people or any person who claims to have a relationship with the Lord, and yet there's no lordship in their lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we praise you, and we thank you for your word. Uh, Father, we ask and pray that you would encourage us through what we've learned this morning, Father, and help us to have those uh, hearts, Father, to be true Israelites spiritually, Father, true uh, believers by faith, Lord, and those who not only believe um, but also in our actions and in, our, in, our, in, our, in, our, in the way we live our lives and the decisions that we make, Father, we, we actively live out our faith before you, Father. We're not perfect. We all sin. We all fall short, Lord God. But in our heart of hearts, we pray that you would make us completely sincere in our desire and our willingness, Father, to be yours only and to serve only you, Father, certainly not to serve ourselves. Father, we pray that you would be with every single person, Lord, who's hearing this message today, Lord, and everyone who will hear it. We pray, Father, that you would cause these words to be written on the tablets of their hearts, Lord, and that you would encourage each and every one of us, Father, to grow deeper in our faith and in our love towards, towards you through Jesus Christ, Father, and not allow that compromise to ever creep into our lives, Father, but that we would continually, even if we fall, get up and move on towards the promised land and avoid Edom at all costs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you and happy Mother's Day.